Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Hit Minute Productions exclusive Patreon podcast. This is our special decade project where we're going back um anthony lane is a terrific critic usually for the new yorker and he wrote a quote that was you should either review a movie on the friday that it opens or not for 50 years now i'm not quite as crazy and militant as uh mr anthony lane is about that but i do think that right now increasingly with a glut of quote-unquote content um it's really awesome to go back 10 years in our culture and actually reflect on the things that stick around. This uh, flick that I'm talking about today um, is chaotic. It's about being lost in space. It's about disembodied voices. And who are your two favorite disembodied voices to listen to? They are, of <laughs> course, Dan Mecca and Connor O'Donnell from the B-Side podcast and the film stage. Lads, join me in space where no one can hear you scream, but they can hear us on this podcast screaming about Alfonso Cuarón's Gravity, 2013. Explore's been hit. Explore, do you read? Explore, over, explore. Astronaut is off structure. Dr. Stone is off structure. Dr. Stone's detached. You must detach. Don't detach, that arm's gonna carry you too far. Listen to my voice. You need to focus. I'm losing visual of you. In a few seconds, I won't be able to track you. Neil deGrasse Tyson, eat your heart out. <laughs> hey, Neil deGrasse Tyson, stop being a dork, okay? I've, this heard, movie... I've, 
I forgot about that and was just sort of doing like the was that the beginning research. was that yes. the beginning of the bullshit with that yes with him yeah where it was yeah like, ba basically and it, yeah. I, I was kind of I like saw that stuff kind of pop up as I was like watching and doing research and stuff and it I immediately had that like visceral reaction again of like <laughs> shut up nerd <laughs> <laughs> but it's also the great one I the the funniest one I heard actually aptly from comedian Jerry Seinfeld. He was asking someone a question. Hey, did you see gravity? And they're like, yeah. And he goes, here, some, the guy goes, oh, did you see all that stupid stuff about like, it's not realistic. And he goes, yeah. He goes, guess what? George Clooney's not an astronaut. Okay. <laughs> he's like, he's like, what are you doing? Like, just get over it. It's George Clooney and Sandra Bullock. They're fucking astronauts. It's a cool movie. Did you, um, did you hear, I feel like Downey Jr. was, Robert Downey Jr. was on Howard Stern. Mm. And he talked about, cause if you don't, so gravity, what we're talking about today, initially long, long development of that movie. And for yeah, a good long reversal for a while, for a good long yeah. time, it was going to be Angelina Jolie and Robert Downey Jr. Right. And that fell apart kind of late. And Downey Jr. Talked about, it. I think it's on Stern. And he literally just literally said, he was like, you you're in these rigs in the studio you know, and it's all green. It's all just built, you know, because it's all, you know, you the whole thing is, you know, built in post. And he literally was like, I was incapable of just being stuck, like in one place, trapped, for, unable for to like, move for that many hours. He's just like, it wasn't worth it. So I literally like he kind of confirmed like he just at a certain point in the testing was like, nope. Uh, that's going to be a pass and he like just like and then they had to go back to the drawing board and obviously you get sandra bullock and uh and the man the man himself george clooney but uh i always love that that downey jr confirmed he's like not for me which I it's, think is so fun. it's an 87 minute 100 million dollar movie about two astronauts who are working in space to repair the hubble telescope played by sandra bullock and george clooney we have um Ryan Stone is Sandra Bullock, funnily named because her dad wanted a boy. And Matt Kowalski, the most NASA name of any NASA <laughs> named person in the history of mankind. Directed by one of my favorite filmmakers, Alfonso Cuaron. It made a stack of money. It had Oscar nominations at the Wazoo. Um, and when I went back to watch it in preparation for you guys, I realized that this is one of those rare ones that I had been keeping sacred because... I saw it in a Sydney small Sydney theater at screening like 10 years ago. And I was so blown away by the cinema experience and like literally, you know, white knuckling on the the sides of my seat, watching this movie and feeling such a relief to actually just like central Bullock walk out of the water at the end of this movie that I hadn't watched it again. And I, this time was, I just marveled at like, Oh my God, our friend, Jordan Harper, mutual friend, Tight 90 is his phrase about a movie that is under 90 minutes. It's 87 minutes with credits. This is so special. So, so special. And yeah. feels, feels yeah. like a thing that almost it will, will never happen again. It will never, this will yeah, truly like, never happen again. Well, like, I don't know. I was thinking about, I was thinking about that while I was rewatching it today. Um, not nobody will make this kind of movie. It's more like for the specific metrics you mentioned, Blake, like yeah. if someone, if someone's making this movie, they're making it for like less money yes. or, or, or way more money. Well, it's, a, a similar they, result. 
Like, yeah, they're going 200 million and the runtime must be three hours. And, right. and, Something like that. Yeah. And, and the actors will not be as good. Or you're making a tight 90, hugely, you know, uh, exp- you know, it's it's all about the expression of bodies in motion and act it's like a pure action movie of like everything yeah. is in the action. There's not a lot of exposition. There's not really any explanation. It's such a masterstroke in establishing what the establishing what the movie is, establishing what I guess the problem is with this, you know, this Russian uh, satellite that's been uh, blown up by a missile and then turns into this, you know, kind of tornado of carnage that's circling the orbit of the earth and is just taking out satellites and space stations, um, you know, with no, with, with no care. It's nothing. It's just a, it's a perilous cloud of death that's um, going around the earth and you don't get, monstrous actors who are basically on screen the entire time in a variety of different awesome Dutch angled close-ups. You're, it's just not going to happen. You're going to get, you're going to get Sydney Sweeney and Timothy Shell, Jacob, Jacob Elordi or whatever his <laughs> name is. They're going to spend $900 million on Netflix and it's going to be awful. And we know this, this is, um, you know, if I'm talking about the decade project, you know, it's like, what would, what, what we will eventually get to kind of our lessons or could it be made again? Or what have we learned? But, Man, it took me. I right mean, back. I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, I think that's, yeah. I guess what I was getting at, I think it's a great, more than anything else, it's a great screenplay, and you could really teach, yes. to a class like, you know, forget about realism, whatever. I literally as like an entertainment delivery system, you know, and also an empathy. Myth- you know, machine, right. To, to, yeah. to reference the famous quote, obviously by Roger uh, Ebert, but like, you know, and I believe what is it? Caron and his son wrote it. Right. So it's yeah. like, it's literally just a movie where, yeah, to your point, 10 minutes in, it's like, here's where we are. Here are the stakes. Right. And then along the way, you know, you, you kind of deepen the stakes by breathing in the characters a little bit more. And then, I mean, it's kind of beautiful at the, and I think the movie got criticized for this, but I think it's actually kind of beautiful. Like at these moments where the the movie has these narrative corners, it writes itself into, they write, they write themselves out of it. And I think it's very clever. And I think I understand the criticisms of it, you know, the George Clooney character coming back an hour in and he's just kind of, uh, you know, he's obviously like a figment of her panicked, survival brain i love it i love it i don't know that i loved it when i saw it but i love it now i, I feel like i watched it a few months ago um because it was on max and then now i you know watched it yesterday or today and like just um yeah what a great piece of entertainment it, it's such i feel like that's such a high compliment it's like you can't really overstate just to your point like you said blake like when i saw this in the theaters right when she stands up at the end you, you like you like exhale right you're like yeah you're like oh my god i've been on two percent i've been on two percent oxygen for like 60 minutes (laughs) can i I tell you so this is interesting i was thinking about this today and connor i know you i think we'll all relate to this and i was actually listening to uh as part of this decade project i was listening to your episode about prisoners which i also rewatched because i was Mm -hmm. loving listening to the episode and what i think and we talk about this a lot on our podcast what i like probably more than anything is just the the in gravity and in prisoners but in gravity and they're both like silly movies right whatever yeah. but like what i love is it it's so deftly 
articulates process, right? Like yeah. in my job, in Connor's job, yeah. Blake, I presume in your kind of many, many jobs, like, <laughs> you know, process production, right? Like organization, application, like it sounds so boring, but like in a movie like Gravity, all of that stuff, like Matt Kowalski saying to Ryan Stone, like, okay, you're at 2%, don't panic, right? 1%, okay. There's so many great moments, like, okay, you're out of oxygen. And like your viewer's mind is like, she's fucked. And then it's like, well, okay, you have oxygen in your suit, right? There's always yeah. like, yeah. just how are you going to get, a- how are you going to get through this thing? And, you know, and like, you're on a $200,000 commercial set. Oh, th- we're missing this thing. Okay, we're missing this thing. Okay. Like, oh, this ass came in from talent that was never anticipated. Okay. Well, how are we going to handle it? Right. Like, and then <laughs> you, let's deal with the next it's, thing. Right? It's, it's about the, like, it's about sort of the, um, it's a, it's a, it threads through just the, the efficient nature of solving the problem that's right in front of you. And problem solving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's something that, for instance, and, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to get into a bit debate of which movie does it better, but it's a similar ethos to something like the Martian, right? Where like, where literally they like, you know, they say that out loud at the end, basically, right? Like Matt Damon's talking to people and he's That's like- That's more of a Neil deGrasse Tyson movie. I'm going to- Sure, sci- sure. I'm no, 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 totally. And sh- I, I'm going to science the shit out of this. Yeah, yeah and I love, and I love Ridley and I like that movie and it's very entertaining. No, it's a good movie. Yeah. But it's, but it is, it's, it's kind of making it text, right? And yeah. like- but it's the same exact ethos here of like, look, you just, you solve the thing that's right in front of you. And then you solve the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, which is the other, like, you know, who among us, whether it's a friend or. Uh, I mean, dude, why are escape like, rooms popular? Well, right. No, no, no. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, no, seriously, no, that's why. No, that's why. You, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's exactly that. Wait, and, wait, like, wait. Did we a, just discover that Alfonso Caron's gravity is, is, an escape the, room? is the reason that escape rooms exist? I'm, Honestly, oh, if, there's an, if there's an amusement park out there that could figure out some sort of ride that is basically Ooh. a virtual astronaut escape room, wow, you've you've got my money. Is all I'm going to say. But but there's, basically, like it's there's something both panic inducing and soothing about this movie, right? Oh, in a way, in a way that 100%. in a way that feels like somebody comforting you, right? Whether it's like because you know whatever we've all been there, like either talking with or to like somebody who's either having a panic attack or just having a bad moment or whatever. And you just do like the, Hey, like, okay, what's the problem? What's the thing mm-hmm. right here? You know? And it's like that, that whole thing of like, you just take the macrocosm and you make microcosm until you're picking away at it and then you're home free. Right. And um, I don't know. It's something this movie captures so easily. I remember the other thing this movie got kind of shit for when it came out and I understand it, but I also think, it's sort of you're sort of not realizing the value of the thing when you do it, which is like, you know, it got kind of dogged for like, it's very overt visual symbolism and things like that. And like, I understand that my ethos with that stuff is always like, if your movie is 90 minutes or less, you get to do that, right? Like you get to be totally overt with your metaphors and you get to be really on the nose because you are operating you know, you're operating uh, within a specific time frame. I'm like, if you don't like visual symbolism, listen to the fucking radio. Okay. (laughs) Don't watch movies. I don't want a boring straight down the line. Like, and that's the thing if we're talking about, and I don't, I, 
I don't, I love, let me put it this out of the record. I love Ridley Scott. So sure. many of his movies yeah. as a pure right. athlete. I love him. Many of his movies, hugely entertaining. The three of us talked about Gladiator, a movie that is exactly rated, not under or over, exactly yeah. rated right, as right, it right, is. Right, right. Has a perfect right, reputation. Right, right, right. It's a yeah. perfect reputation for exactly <laughs> what it is and it's great. And so I love him. But that's the reason why I don't love as much um, The Martian is because in this movie, those overwhelming moments of panic and the isolation and that kind of what we've typically called like space madness movies, Sure. You know, uh, originating all the way back to the first, you know, 1950s sci-fi movies where people go mad in some kind of space, space exploration. Um, you know, even as far back as like Forbidden Planet, you got a little like started getting yeah. hints of that. But yeah. that's what I love about this movie, because that isolation and that panic and that human connection are the things that sometimes tether you to not just fucking losing your mind. And even if it's an imagination an imaginary moment of a Matt Kowalski coming back in to kind of recenter the things and like pluck things out of your deepest recesses of your memory. I, I kind of love that. Whereas in, I just felt like it was like, here's the process. Here we go. Here's the process. Here we go. Like a little yeah, bit of yeah. the Martian. And I, it didn't, it didn't connect with me. Whereas this, I'm like, you know, to your point before Dan, okay. Right now your oxygen's low. It's not beer. It's wine sip it <laughs> sip yeah. it. It, you yeah, gotta yeah. sip it slowly. just those little things are so great and it's funny in every job i remember i was doing customer service one time and i, I was dealing with a customer complaint and i was so mad and we we're talking for a long time and after a while they were getting really they just they, there was no de-escalation and i just paused and i just sort of like thought and i had this like epiphany and i went hey can you just do me something i know this is a really strange ask can you paint me a picture of what is going to make you happy at the end of this conversation. Just like pretend that there's no, there's nothing that I can't do. Just paint me a picture of what's going to make you happy. And after that, after a, 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 a massive pregnant pause, the person like said, I want to be reimbursed for my time. And I want this, you know, fee that I don't agree with to be refunded. And I go, how much is your time worth? And they had to answer like, oh, like, I don't know, like a hundred dollars an hour. And I go, okay. And I'd made a calculation and I refunded them and I go, it's done. And they go, okay. And I go, okay. <laughs> like, it was just that thing of like, this movie yeah. does that for me. It's like, what is the thing exactly as you were talking about before, Dan and you, Connor, is like, what is the thing? What is the actual problem that is in front of your face right now? Can you articulate it? And if there's no problem, if you can't articulate it, there's no problem. But it will it will appear to you, what is the immediate thing that I need to resolve right now and then move to the next challenge? Because that's that's life. Like that's what it is. What's the immediate problem? How do I solve it? Okay, cool. Let's move on to the next thing. And there might be a line of these problems as is so wonderfully articulated in this movie. There might be a line of them, but that's okay. We're just going to yeah, do it. Yeah, I think it's why space movies and perhaps underwater movies to a lesser extent, right? They work so well in that space when you think about it because they're kind of like blank canvases a little bit, right? It's like yeah. if you can take your characters and put them into a situation that feels extraordinary for like 99% or a hundred percent of everybody yeah. watching, you can kind of get to the core 
of what matters, right? Yeah. Like, as opposed to, you know, if you're doing a prisoner's right to reference a recent subject or like anything like that and you're on earth and you're in a small town and it's like the complexity almost becomes front and center yes. more often because it's like, well, you get it, you get it, right? And it's like, yeah. that's not saying that's any worse. It's literally just saying, I think, when you think about Interstellar, the Martian to a lesser degree, the abyss, the yeah. the Avatar movies, which take place in a whole nother you know world, obviously, but like these are simple, simple narratives, right? Yes. All of them. Yes. But the reason they work so well, I mean, every literally every James Cameron movie, right? I mean, even <laughs> yeah. even the ones that are on Earth, right? That's he 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 ex- literally ex- his genius is literally stripping everything down and convincing you he hasn't, right? Of course, but um, but um that's the beauty of these movies because you're just like okay we're in space wow that's nuts right what next right so so i think you know quran and look you know to a degree you know quran's kind of it's interesting his career is is almost like it's it's almost been a hem and a haw of of those two things right it's like a little princess is a little bit like that great expectations you would argue you know, considered his greatest failure, in my opinion, his greatest masterwork, but like is both at the same time, which people really had a problem with. And then like the Harry Potter movies, very much that, but then Itumama Itu Tambien, right? It's like, he's, he's not everybody can do that. Right. I think, I think not. he's kind of a very special filmmaker in that way. And I think, I think what are, you're, what you're getting at that's so distinct and helps this movie. So, so specifically is point of view, right. Is like, yeah a decision to concretely in some of the things you just mentioned, either look at the world from the outside in or look at it from the inside out. Right. And like deciding which thing you're going to rope the audience in with. And obviously he goes inside out here. Right. Cause it's all, it's all, you know, basically Sandra Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, what is she what you're dealing with yeah and it's like immensely helpful because it's just the minute you go from outside in it's the martian right and you have to explain like how does the thing work okay here's how the thing works and there's to your point dan nothing necessarily wrong no i love look i love love that too yeah it's just a different way of watching the movie and i think what's so genius about this movie is how how it brings you you the viewer coming in cold presumably right coming in cold it brings you to a place of emotionality from logic while it brings its character from a place of emotionality to logic yes right and that's the beauty right is this like inverted relationship you've got with ryan stone where like you're coming in and you're like all right, what's the business here? And then they kind of give you the business, right? You got, uh, you know, you got Ed Harris chatting to you about just the Mas, little master strike choice of uh, beautiful casting. Uh, obviously, sure. nice, uh, nice who, little, nice nice little homage, who sure. else would you trust more to get you back from space? Well, right? And look, <laughs> great, a great example, a great example of the opposite. Ron Howard, maybe, maybe there are few people better at at doing the Martian than Ron sure. Howard. Yeah, right? yeah, sure. You know. Uh, 13 lives apollo yeah. 13 yeah. rush competency yeah. porn competency yeah. porn love it right yes yeah. but i was gonna say um um shout yeah, out I to think... all you rush heads out there 
Okay, for my rush, but rush, fuck. Rush, no, rush rules. No, oh, rush yeah. rules. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, shout out, not enough props for rush, and also yeah, no. to rush my real great. Frost Nixon gang. A fucking oh, movie no. Frost I do kind of like, I kind of, you like know, Frost actually, Nixon, yeah. you know, who's the fucking best in Frost Nixon? Kevin Bacon. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Kevin Bacon Kevin, and all timer performance. All so of a, Oliver Platt, just Oliver Platt, if yeah. you just want him to in come anything, in really. and yeah. crush every scene and make everyone look like a dope just around him because he's just <laughs> amazing yeah shout out to our rush heads shout out to our frost nixon heads well, out there and so and so the, i like i like talking about the movie this way because because on you, you, i love that customer service story because i think me and my wife talked about this and as parents blake you and i right yeah. I'm sure you'll relate to this. And Connor, I mean, no, I mean, it's it's probably the same way you would calm down a child, right? It's the similar. Well, 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 what I was going to say is, I think what's interesting is, right? I I think partly because of my day job, whatever, right? I have a tendency when things get really bad to I get very calm. Me too. Right? Like, like, yeah. like people don't pe- when it goes when nuts, shit when shit's I really go, when shit's yeah. going really bad. Right. And I think this just is from my life. And I'm not like I've I've loved a I've lived a blessed life. I'm saying literally like just working on sets, dealing with you well, know there, there were I'm those five years your mom locked you in the basement. <laughs> that's so. true. We, I don't look that's la 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 um, um uh, love you mom. No, but uh but literally like uh Speaking of prisoners, oh, so that's what I was trying. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But but so, but my point is, so so, there's there's a there's a perverse comfort in those moments for me. Yeah, that I'm great that I'm grateful for. Of like, okay, like the kid just fell or what? Whatever the yeah. thing that happens, right? And it's like, I tend uh, thankfully, okay. Like, what do we need to do right yeah. now? Right. And I think where my you, daughter where... broke her leg last year. Mm. She's yeah, jumping nightmare. on a tramp, jumping on trampoline, broke her leg. Nightmare. And, and awful thing. Worst thing ever. Trampolines suck. No matter how many times dad told her, don't jump on a trampoline with a ball right. on there. It happened. Yeah. And when it happened, I heard her scream. My wife and I ran out of the house and was like, okay. And I looked at her. I'm like, her leg's broken. And she sat down and I said, baby, daddy's going to put a 10 minute timer on his watch. And if you can't put your leg on the floor and stand on it, I'm taking you to the hospital. Right. And then she couldn't stand on it and you just do it and you're going through the motions and you're being super calm. And then a couple of times in the hospital, they're like, hey, like, we don't think it's broken. And I said, listen to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've never heard that child scream like that. And she stacked it a lot. She's unco like her dad. I'm like, (laughs) it's broken. So you're going to do an x-ray. You're going to find out it's broken. Or you're not, yeah. and I'm going to take her home, and then I'm going to take you to an X-ray tomorrow, and then you're going to look like an idiot. So you're going to just give her the X-ray, and you're going to do it. And yeah. they did it. Of course, it's broken, etc. Then you just figure out, okay, what's the plan? We're going to figure out the plan. Then well, that's the thing, yeah. and I, so that's what I'm saying. The comfort comes from like every single thing goes wrong, right in the movie, and then the literally the rest of the movies is like, okay, you just got to get home, all right. So how, how are you going to do that, right? And I think yeah. it's so comforting as well as very stressful because it's like there is a universal relatability, you know, you know, like you said, Blake, any job does not matter. Right. I was a waiter forever. Right. The eggs are wrong. Okay. The eggs are wrong. All right. I'll I'll fix the eggs. Right. You know, like, 
whatever, right? Whatever, you know, whatever the situation is, you just, you learn in that moment, you know, to just, you know, steady your mind and deal with the problem. And um, I think the movie really encapsulates that really well. And I think, look, I mean, maybe to pivot to Sandra Bullock for a second, I think it works that perhaps the most relatable movie star who's ever lived yeah. is playing yeah. the lead role. Yeah. That's true of both of them, I think, right? It's sure, like, it's certainly. great. It's amazing. It's amazing casting because yeah. you're in already. You're like, I like both of you. And like Angelina like, Jolie, no... right, for example, had she gotten the role, I, I don't know. I mean, it would have been a different movie, but it's like, you know what it reminds me of? That Max movie that she made, the the Warner Brothers movie, "Those Who Wish Me Dead," yeah, yeah which right? I kind I kind of like, which that which I, yeah. I I like the film, yeah, but it's like I think a good example of if that if Sandra Bullock was the lead of that movie, I bet you it probably would have performed a little better because I just think Angelina Jolie is like so exceptional, like. She's like, got I the Russell mean... Crowe thing. She does. Sure. Yes. She does. Yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. A little. A little bit. Which just for for the listeners, Blake came. No, on don't our... tell them. Just listen to the Russell. Listen Crow to the Russell Crowe Bayside podcast. <laughs> where for the, the first yeah. time, the where for the first yeah. time, I stumped Dan Mecca, which I'm so yeah. proud of. And Connor actually has done it to me <laughs> on this one, which is you just nailed. You synthesize what it is for me about Alfonso Cuarón. Every one of his films are about inside, out. Right. Every yeah. single every single film is about that. That's what he nailed about the Harry Potter franchise. This is I'm called exactly right. Harry yeah. Potter and whatever, right? It's about this kid. You have to go through him to see That's the world. So I don't true. give a shit about the world. Then, like children and men. You remember people were so mad that because he took the uh, the uniform. What he didn't yeah. he? Uh, they're like, so, yeah, he, like he like put, he like put them in gap clothes basically. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Whatever, he's like. People are people are mad so mad about everything in those movies, and then now they're like the best thing ever. It's like the pre, it's like the Star Wars prequel kids, you know. Like it's just they're so happy with them. They yell quote them. I see them on Instagram and and, and Twitter all the time. I'm like, good for well, you. That's guys. the funniest yeah. thing. I, I say this all the time. My brother is that kid because my brother is ten years younger than me. Yeah. So like he loves the prequel movies because of course, and it's like, but of course, of course he does because yeah. it's yeah. like. He was a kid. They're for kids. Don't you know like, I don't want to offend anybody, but they're for kids. Like speak- you can like them and be 45. It's fine. I'm just saying it's like speaking of B sides. When we were kids, the Caravan of Courage movies came out, like the Caravan of Courage and the other Ewok adventure. Yeah, movie. yeah. I don't, sure. I don't yeah, even yeah. remember what it was. Anyway, yeah. after many, many, many years, i I got a DVD of Caravan of Courage. Like I'm talking like 15 years ago. And I'd okay. watched it a th- 10,000 times on like Betamax tape at my house. And I watched this movie and then there was a narrator and I go, this narrator? Like I like, was like, <laughs> I've watched it so many times as a kid that I didn't even register that it had a narration to explain to me a child at the time right. what was actually happening in this world. And I'm like, ah, a narrator. Wow. So Interesting choice. But you just, yeah, you, that's, that's how you view things. But no, I think that that's, that's the thing of like the, these Alfonso Cuarón movies are from inside out. That's it's everything that's happened. And that's, that's in Roma. It's, it's about the inside. Right. It's the tiny microcosmic family. And then the outside world is all of these other forces that are going on and they're there. They're rendered so beautifully, but they don't need to be foregrounded in his movies. And in the best movies, they're not, it's all about individuals. It's all about these people. It's all about these tight knit relationships. And even children are men with all the forces in that movie, which is, you know, uh, 
in some ways on a micro scale, just about a guy trying to rescue a refugee girl. And on a macro scale, it's about the death of the human race. Um, and so like, you know, all those things are beautifully rendered, but he just does it here. And same with here. It's the entire, you know, it's the entire world. It's the entire, you know, infrastructure of space exploration and human endeavor. But it's really just like, I just need to get home. because. Well, and, and look, to Connor's earlier point, is there is there a more beautiful shot in the movie, like even rewatching it today, where like she's telling a story about how her kid died and it's like her face and the whole world are in the shot. Yes, yes. And it's like, yeah. that is, that's beautiful. That's and like a lesser, that's like, like a painting. Cause it's like, yeah. The, and look, it's, it's, it's punching you in the face. The symbolism yeah, yeah. fine, but who cares? It's like, go watch. I like, I like my know, symbolism to punch me in the face. I don't yeah, want subtlety. I, if you want subtlety, get out of here. I don't want it. <laughs> but you know what kills me? Not to, not to get, not to get petty, but let's just go there. Whatever. It's Thursday night, like <laughs> slash, slash Friday morning. Friday but like, morning, baby. But, I'm, but, I'm yeah, on the know, weekend already. <laughs> here we go. Uh, but, but like the same people who criticize, you know, that about gravity love Dogville. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> which, right. which, right. which I love Dogville. Okay. But I'm saying like Lars Von, nobody's more hitting you in the face, you know, than so many of these like, you know, cinephile approved filmmakers and films. Yes. Right. Yeah. But it's because like, you know, the budgets are lower or, you know, it's a, there's a, a stage instead of a, Lars you know could I mean? only it's afford like, a sound stage and some chalk instead of buildings and some cruddy costumes. Right. And that's enough. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's why this movie if there's a difference between then and now, that's where we can reflect and go, that's why it's unusual because he got a hundred million dollars, probably right. 30 to 40 exactly. million of that was on just Clooney and Bullock. Like right. probably. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then Absolutely. 60 million is the production. And yeah. Absolutely. that's, you know, they got a hundred million dollars. It made stack of money. It was award nominated out the wazoo. Like, I mean, if that's what's net, that's why now you look at it and you're like, Oh, you can make, really carefully curated, highly dependent on special effects movies that don't suck, but they can't be in a factory line of, we are part of a series. We are using the same warehouses of all these really tirelessly, um, you know, passionate artists who are often overworked doing like 70 hour working weeks and all that shit. I had said this the other day and again to Dan's point, like whatever, let's be petty. But like, I, so I finally saw that fucking Spider-Verse movie and I feel like I'm in the minority because I like really did not enjoy myself. Oh, I'm right? sad. To, I'm sad to hear that. I, I enjoyed and, myself and my daughter, just so you know, Connor, in the actual crescendo of the movie, the chase yeah. that happens. Sure. My yeah, daughter yeah, yeah. needed to go to the toilet. So I missed basically oh. the... <laughs> finale of the, the movie the and, my, finale, and her yeah. younger brother was there with my friend and and i'm like dude do you need to go to toilet he's like no like he's like no i'm that yeah. i'm watching this i will pee in my seat and i'm like yeah cool your <laughs> no, sister is actually gonna pee in her seat so i'm taking and look, that, i'm not trying to take it from anybody but it's i i found myself kind of and it's not really the fault of the movie and the, clearly a lot of great work went into that movie Right. It's it's on it's on the screen for sure. But I had I had myself thinking like, yeah, but like we used to put all of this talent in service of like other things. And like, yeah, the, they, I didn't I didn't think this at the time, but I'm like realizing it now, like the kinds of things I was talking about are gravity. Right. Yeah. It's like 
yeah, like we used to put to your point, just the level of care and curation, like or quaration, if you want. Is it quaration? Hey now, hey now. <laughs> hey now. But but the, you know that level of focus and attention to detail. You say and all things. Stuff. You say things like that, Connor, and I think of whole podcast series in four seconds. <laughs> right? I just that's Let's, all. That's what I you think. Just, of. You DM me later. We'll figure it out. Um, but but yeah. It, it's I don't know. It's it's all to say just, yeah, there's a level of care to this movie that's apparent on every single corner of the frame. Yes. And you don't I it, well, just, just and also like the comfort that there it's gravity. There's no gravity yeah. two. There's no yeah. gravity three. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right? Exactly. It's, it's, it's and like it's just know. its own little piece of entertainment that just yeah. sits there for you to to be able to yeah. watch which 80 is minutes 80 minutes so many people let's stay in the petty lane before we move on um so many people are like dude you gotta watch this show swear to god it's like 24 eps a season and 42 minutes <laughs> an episode i'm like two episodes you're like oh it really warms up in season three wait so i gotta watch 48 <laughs> episodes of this shit before it warms up I got, I got 80 yeah. minutes of gravity. It's in and out. It's a fucking treat. That's why, that's why I let Brittany watch the TV shows. <laughs> and then like, and if the zeitgeist really holds on to something, <laughs> then I'm like, then I'm like, okay, I'll watch it. Wait, my friend the other day goes, how do you watch so many movies? I go, I don't watch TV. And he's like, yeah, oh yeah, I watch same. a shitload of terrible TV. Okay. Yeah, I know. Like you tell me <laughs> you should watch the show. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. It's not happening. And it's um, okay if people listening, if you like and, your and TV show, and you I'll, like your show. I'll show the boy. I'll show the boys here. This is the test disc stack for the next imprint companion that just came in the mail. There's Ooh, like, right. Well, I was gonna ask. Okay. Yeah, you're always watching. All uh, yeah, these for movies. the for the listener, Blake just held up what appears to be about a two inch thick. <laughs> yeah, one, two, paper three, envelope four, stack of discs. One, Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 movies are Man. just the next batch. And it's there like I'm not watching a TV show, guys. I got I got <laughs> films to watch. You can you can have your show. You can watch The Idol. I'm going back to Walter Hill's Extreme Ooh. Prejudice on Blu-ray. That's what Ooh, I'm doing. Hello, hello. Yeah, I gotta re I gotta rewatch that movie. Actually, that's a it's a good one. But so you know what Walter those Hill, what yeah. I'll just to bring it back. What I will recommend to those people if they if they want something a little shorter, Gravity. Yeah, you get eighty minutes. Eighty minutes. <laughs> bang it out yeah you knock it out and like <laughs> you feel like it's not even an hour and you're like oh god this is so fast so this is um in, in the show like we kind of started then what the reaction was i feel like we've covered that we absolutely talked about i think now in sort of our pettiness i think it's pretty clear that movies like this don't exist but i, I want to ask usually ask kind of what we've learned and I just want to say, I think the thing that I learn increasingly is what a treasure Alfonso Cuaron is as a filmmaker. He's just sure. a treasure. Whenever I revisit any of his films, he's one of those guys who perhaps because he's just out of that kind of, you know, he's not like a, a fil filmmaker who sort of talks and has it has been mythologized as much. He's absolutely in the, you know, the three musketeers are Inaritu. Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Cuaron, and they've all sure. won Best Director at the Oscars, and they've all, you know, and all three of the guys call Michael Mann Uncle Mike, so of course they're my kind of guys. And I look <laughs> at I look at him, and I go, "What a career he has had! What a career!" And he's, he's not had. that prolific, not either, prolific, which I either. think is part of the secret sauce to what you're talking about a little yeah. bit. Like it, it, 
I think that both helps and hurts it, right? Like, I think yeah. if he's a little more prolific, because he's even less prolific than, say, like a Nolan, right? Who is, I guess you could call prolific, but like kind of barely at the rate that some other filmmakers make movies, right? So, like, well, like even PTA, nine movies, man. He has a whole mythology. Yeah. And you look at, right. And you look at, um, I'm just going to Corona as a director. Yeah, he's directed he's got, he's like got, 10, right? He's got Roma, Gravity. Nine movies. Children of Men. Or no, eight yeah, Harry, Harry Potter, Itimama well, so, uh, Yeah, Solo Contu Paria, right, is yeah. a, is a, is a, is his first feature. Little Princess, Great Expectations, Itumama, Harry Potter, Children of Men, Gravity, Roma. Yeah. Yeah. Eight. Yeah, eight. Eight. You know what yeah. that is, though? It's a really good batting average. Oh, my gosh. That's like, is it what? It's like. Is, is it yeah. what? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's it speaks to well. Look, I think I think look, I think to kind of to what we're talking about, he handles he handles it all with a certain amount of care, and I think that can't get overstated. And I think you know, Inaritu is obviously I think a little bit more polarizing, but you could say the same thing about him. Whether or not you like his films, I think there's certainly you know the works on the screen, and I mm. think you know, I think you know he's made i think seven movies and it's like that speaks a lot to kind of you know him as well and del toro of course right obviously and yeah i think it's just interesting how they have just become like these very rare gems and i think there's no there's so little middle ground yeah in terms of of what we're talking about right like and this is a constant talking point but like you know, Jonathan Mostow does not exist anymore, right? Oh, like yeah. a guy who's making breakdown U five seven one, right? Whatever. I right? mean, all those people direct TV now, right? That's yes. the thing. Sure, sure. And I'm saying, you know, that world of like capable, you know, storytellers, right, who get things in on time and under budget, they exist. But yeah, they're you know, you know, the Carl Franklin's like he directs TV, right? It's like you know, and I think God, um, what what you wouldn't have given for Carl Franklin to make twenty five Devil in a Blue Dress sequels? Right. You know, honestly, like, honestly, man, like I think about I, that I still, all the time. <laughs> I still hold out hope for like one more Franklin Denzel Washington movie because they yeah, could happen. Sure. I mean, you know, sure. just you know, they did out of time. I underrated. I love. Is there is there Devil an Easy Dress. Rollins novel where he's just older older can we, can we just do that sure. like why well you not? could just uh, change it anyway. yeah why not they did it with marlo you know liam exactly. neeson gets to play marlo let's let's do that for devil in a blue dress that's a good idea. um yeah i think in terms of like the then and now i what's interesting is i feel like as as big as this movie felt at the time you never hear people talk about this. Doesn't movie. Have a that's, that, Doesn't have a that's, footprint. I guess, that's, I guess, to your point, Blake, about like maybe you also, there's not really as much mythologizing around Quaron in general. And maybe if there was, people would talk about it more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you don't really hear, hear people talk about this. I rewatched this for the first time in years. I think probably since I like bought the Blu ray in like 2014, right? I rewatched it for the first time when we were prepping for our Sandra Bullock b-side episode because i hadn't seen it in a while and um and that was like an amazing experience because it was like oh yeah why don't i watch this more like this thing <laughs> is just a banger and like it just i i'm trying to think of like a comparable movie that maybe has the same you know internet love zeitgeisty love and i don't know if i can really think of one i've got one for I, you the gray yeah. 
Sure. Like, yeah, like just something that like people but latch on to. You watch it. It's it's unrelenting. It's philosophical. Mm-hmm. And the peril is nature. And I, I think that that's a perfect double feature of gravity and the gray because they're just like both start with GR if you stick into the GRs in your <laughs> alphabetized Blu-ray yeah. collection. Um, and it's, 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 yeah, they're, they're kind of both there, but that's the thing. It's not, it's not, it's not in the zeitgeist like it was. It was such a zeitgeist movie, but I, I don't know. It just, maybe it's a bit of an indictment of like our current, um, our current idea of what cinema is like, um, there's a great conversation uh, between Brian Koppelman on his podcast and Chris, uh, Chris McQuarrie. And they're talking I was, about, I was waiting for you to bring him up. Cause we were talking about like workmen guys. And I feel like McQuarrie. He's that kind like of guy. And, he's like, and, he's and like Koppelman. the last one. Yeah, yeah, no, right. But I, anyway, go, they're, sorry, bo- they're, they're both those guys, but it's like, they're like, there's a time where, and they were quoting a mammoth quote of like cinema and storytelling were not necessarily intrinsically connected. And sometimes they are. And like right now they are like cinema is story. So you, and, and, and now story is kind of largely television. So like when we're watching big cinema things to try to take some of like eat some of TV's lunch, if you like, and go, we have to tell these serialized stories and that's how you have footprint and that's how you have IP and all that sort of stuff. And so right now the current paradigm is, that movies have to be stories and they they can't be allegorical and they can't be abstract. They have to be, just tell me a story. And I think that there are great cinematic storytellers that um, that can work, but they just don't, they, they want to tell, you know, I guess in the grandest scheme, they want to tell a short story. They want to tell a short story that's punchy, that's loaded yeah. with information, loaded with feeling, and it doesn't have to be 12 movies long before they get their point out or, or clear their throat. It's just this thing that is succinct and concise and, so yeah, it's really fascinating that that this is the kind of guy that can do this and this movie had such a massive footprint and a massive impact at the time and definitely helped to push technology that we're still using today, but it doesn't amongst his oeuvre, it doesn't seem to like register a blip and it doesn't seem to register for Bullock either. And I would argue this is vastly better than a lot of movies that people like rave that Sandy Bullock is in, you know, we, like uh, she's phenomenal yeah, in this movie. She's and it, we kind of talked about this on our B side episode about her a little bit, but the weird and it's going to sound like an insult, and I guess it is, but I kind of mean it as a compliment. But the thing with her that I think I kind of don't think I realized until we did that episode, and maybe other people haven't either, is that like for as big of a movie star as she is, she has a surprisingly awful batting average in yeah. terms of like the projects. And it's kind of shocking when you think about it. Right. Cause like she's one of our biggest right ever. And so it is weird to like, look at her filmography and see that, that, that it all comes. Dan and I were just talking about this off mic earlier that like, she has these like banner years and there and then, but the, there's like a lot of in between where you're like, whoa, wow. Well, like, yeah, I mean, literally like yeah. 93 to 95, right? Speed while you were sleeping. She's in like five movies in 93. And yeah. then there's kind of, kind of a, a lot of the movies don't hit, you know, a lot of people love Practical Magic, but it wasn't a hit. Hope Floats, I like it, wasn't a hit really. Love Practical ditto, Magic, ditto, by the way. Di- love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm and, not- and absolutely insane movie movie. but hope hope floats does okay doesn't do great right force uh forces of nature Mm. rom-com with ben affleck does okay doesn't do great not a great movie but then it's like 2000 miscongeniality 2002 two weeks notice rom-com queen again 
But then it's like another period of like movies don't really work. And then the miscongeniality too is ghastly. Right. That didn't work. The Lake House, nobody really sees, even though I think that's kind of a great movie. And then 09 is the like big comeback, the proposal and this movie, or no, the before this movie, it's the the proposal and um, Blindside. Blindside, Huge hit. She wins an Oscar. And then she doesn't do much for four years, makes, you know, she has a supporting role in Extremely Loud. And um, and then 2013 is The Heat and Gravity, which are huge, gets yeah. another Oscar nomination, and then like disappears again. And then comes back 2018, Bird Box, Netflix's biggest movie at the time, plus Ocean's 8. And then she's gone. And then she comes back with The Lost City, and now she's, you know, Lost semi-retired. Lost Lo- 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 City is fun. It's fine. No, no, I just I like that movie, so. But yeah. the point is, a lot of those movies I named aren't aren't necessarily even great. I'm just saying it's like Connor's right. You can really pick like you know your gravities are really there aren't a lot of gravities in her CV. You know, yeah. you know, and I think she's often better than her movies. Yes, and I think yeah. gra- gravity is a moment where the movie matches you know the actress. Yeah, it's, I, it's, I would it's, almost argue like maybe. It's like in in that run that we're talking about. It's literally like speed and like speed, miscongen- yeah. and and miscongeniality. Yeah, are like the other two moments where that where that seems where she's to tr- where she's yeah. truly the movie, the zeitgeist, everything yeah. about it. Like I could watch miscongeniality like that. Like it's such a fun movie, and she's yeah. excellent in it. Gravity, absolutely. Speed, any day of the week. Um, shout yeah. out to. Uh, Chris Tapley's terrific 50 miles an hour, yeah. 50 miles an hour um, speed podcast, the oral history of speed, which is currently um, uh, available, but it's like so good. And then like the other one, you have to give her props. Demolition man. She's so oh, wonderful. Yeah. In Demolition man. I just don't think of that as like a Sandra Bullock not vehicle a no, in, no. in any capacity, but no. um, so good. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, she's just one of those movie stars. I mean, look, Meryl Streep, I think sometimes unfairly gets that criticism where like her performances often outshine the movies. I think that's a little reductive because she's made, she actually has made a lot of incredible films, but like, I also think there's a thing about just like, you know, this happened to Brad Pitt for a long time. It's like, sometimes you're bigger than the thing you're in. Right. So I yeah. think yeah. that's and not some, necessarily some, some the fault act- of the actor. Some actors, and this is why people praise the living daylights out of like Leo. Um, and it's been validated on lots of different podcasts and stuff like that. And lots of different reporting. It's like that Leo, Leo has like a rule in his contract that he works with basically three directors, like as a right. standing. And those well, three after directors, Titanic, right? yeah, yeah, he, yeah. but, th- but those three directors are Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese and Spielberg are like the three that, yeah, I'll work with all those guys. And like, there's others that do pop into his resume very rarely, but it's right. like, my first look is to work with these guys. And well, you're that's like, what, remember, I mean, Macquarie, Macquarie, yeah, Macquarie. Macquarie, he talks about that, right? He, he wrote an, an Alexander the Great script that ultimately didn't get made, but ultimately because Oliver Stone made his fine, but, they, they, there was kind of an arms race of two Alexander the Great movies and oh, Leo like, like six at a, the time, but I think Oliver Stone's one killed five others. So. Sure, and but Macquarie's was really going, but I think one of the early death blows was Macquarie insisted on directing it for a long time, and yeah. Leo was attached, and and it was literally well, Leo's not gonna 
let you direct him because then, he only wants to work with Spielberg. Well, and then and then Oliver Stone wept because there were no more Alexander. <laughs> Brady uh, no, exactly. Um, I want to talk about favorite. It's very watch. educated joke. Very funny. It was, it was, it was wonderful. <laughs> that's that's real- for the rarefied. I know, that's for. <laughs> That's for people who paid attention in uh, ninth grade history class. Yeah. <laughs> no one paid attention in ninth grade. That's what I'm saying. It's like five people. Hi, hi, Con- hi, Con- people. Uh, hi Connor and the other four. <laughs> honey, uh, honey, they made an Alexander the Great joke. Come on, I'm going to pause it. I'm going to pause it. Come back. Come, 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 come. Okay, are you listening? Okay. All right, I'm going to press play. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we talked about the hallucination moment. Stunning moment in the movie. It's a great um, moment. It is a great moment. Yeah. And according to the interwebs, Kowalski coming back was Clooney's idea. Is that right? Yeah. He says that uh Koran and his son, who who wrote the film, um I believe Jonas, is, Jonas Jonas and um but were basically wanted to were never quite totally satisfied with just Kowalski's float off into space the despairing thought of him going away. Um, and Clooney said they weren't happy with the resolution. And so they tried to do a, a bunch of revisions and they removed dialogue and they added dialogue. And then Clooney had a crack at like writing the scene, like how the scene would play out. Um, and apparently that's what we see in the movie. That that um, hallucination space pod scene is a, is a Clooney scene. It's funny because there's another- it's a collaborative like, medium, you know? There's a- up. Another reason I love it. There's a contingent of people, um, you know, uh, on the internet or whatever. And I don't know if people still think this now, but I remember at the time there was a whole contingent of people were like, well, you know, she really dies in the end. Right. Like it's it's like that kind of thing. And that to me is like so willfully ignoring the preceding 80 minutes. You know what I mean? Like you're just kind of like, that is not, the thing like i understand the lot like that that this scene is the scene that people use as the these are the this sort is of part, cornerstone is, of that argument this is this this is the same impulse but taken down a different rabbit hole of the neil degrasse tyson oh it, it, it's not real so what's it, it's yeah, not, yeah 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 it's, it's like it's like it's this such is a, a movie it's such a strange yeah it's such a strange thing because it's like if people, you want the if you want the science go to a library i don't care exactly like, do whatever and i you think want. People's brains go there because they need a way to square the to square the the weird circle that is this scene that pops up. Right. Like and I think I don't know, to me, it feels so in the spirit of the whole movie. Like I don't like especially where it decides to take you, because like I was saying before, like it takes you from a place of logic into a place of emotion. And yeah, maybe Matt Kowalski showing up and opening the door to the fucking pod and getting in and talking to her. Yes. Maybe that obviously makes no sense logically, but it makes perfect sense emotionally. And that's why it has to happen. Like, and I think, I don't know, to me, it's almost like not only is it just nice because Clooney's charming and they have excellent chemistry, by the way, it's like, it's the kind of scene that you're sort of like, shit, why the fuck have they not gotten their own like out of sight or whatever? Like, why? How is what's this that? What's that like, George Clooney, Julia Roberts movie? I want to. Um, Trouble in not, Paradise. 
Ticket yeah, to Paradise. Yeah, ticket, yeah, ticket, 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 ticket to Paradise. Trouble in Paradise, a great Ernst Lubitsch <laughs> film, I believe. But, but Ticket to different, Paradise different picture. is different an picture. okay, I believe his name's Old Parker. No, um, <laughs> yeah, but the, the, but that sort of thing where you're just watching movie stars charm the living pants off of you yeah. for an hour and you're just happy. You're exactly. Like, okay, yeah. I'm happy. Um, and I'm not going to, I guess I'm just not going to get mad at that in, in this movie if they decide to give it to me for a second. Like, I don't know why you would unless you're oh, like, look, really I think, not for parties. I, like, look. So also we, we talked <laughs> about Robert Downey Jr. I just want to talk about this. What if Marianne Cotillard screen tested oh, sure. for the part, but went on to go and work with um, Christopher Nolan in Inception and Portman Screen He's such a little car. <laughs> Just because we we said on him, I had to. Do it. I had to tell you that because I wanted the Dan. Is that a the, little car? Is that a little car? <laughs> Uh, listen to that. I'm still waiting for the after effects from Connor to to do that. Is that? Oh, I got it. Okay. Is that your? Because you reminded me, Blake. I'll do it. I'll do it tonight. (laughs) Yes. Um, The crowd. No, I think. So you mentioned Portman. (laughs) I don't want that to get lost in the mix. My quick take on all those. Oh, Portman. I forgot about Portman. I think Portman would work better than Cotillard would work. None of them would work as good as Sandra Bullock does. I don't think. I I don't. I don't think anyone is as good as her. It's just her age with the, with that, with no disrespect. Um, that's why I think Cotillard works better than Portman or any of the other names that are on this list is because there's something about her being just that little bit older and being a mom and being really accomplished and know her shit, but also, you know, have all that trauma. Like she sells that so effortlessly. Isn't it wild that she auditioned? I'm a, I'm presuming auditioned. I don't know if if up for it means like maybe she was approached or whatever, but and maybe she didn't audition. But isn't it wild that Portman was in, in contention, let's say, for the role, and then she just goes and does that other movie, the what is yeah, it? Yeah, Black Swan. Black Swan. No, 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 no. Later, oh, Lucy, oh, Lucy, Lucy in the Sky. Lucy in the sky like, yeah. <laughs> That's you know, probably so, because she did go and do Black Swan and she's like, I got my Oscar, but I still haven't really done a space movie. So right, I gotta go I wanna, and do that. I want to so, be a psychotic astronaut. Let's go. It's it's funny because um it's just the uh, Cotillard has me reminds me of Clooney in one of these like I can't even remember. It was one of these like vanity fair, whatever, talking about favorite performances or something. He mentions Marion Cotillard in La Vie en Rose, which she won the Oscar for. And he has a great, I always think about this. He has a great explanation of why he loves her performance because in that movie, if you don't know, she plays Edith Piaf, the famous singer. And one of the best, says, best actress a wins ever. Exactly. Yeah. And, correct. And, yeah. And, and he says something so great, which is like the, the reason that performance is so great is because she's playing an old, an old woman, right? And she's young, but it's not that. It's that she plays the old woman wanting to be young. Yes. So, like, she's old, but she's not playing it old. Yes. Because Edith Edith Piaf wanted to be young. Yes. And it's like that extra step, right? Yeah, sure. That's where the greatness is, right, is is what he's saying. And I always – that's such a great actor's answer, right, where it's like, you know, everybody has their craft, right? It's like, yeah. so, and and I love, love, love that. Um, you know, I love, I love, I love shit like like actors loving their stuff, like like um, 
like Ben Affleck being like, I finally figured out Batman in the flash. And then yeah. you like watch the flash and it's like really not on screen, you know, <laughs> but it's like, I'm sure he's right. Right. But like, yeah. he has no control over what makes it or doesn't make it or how it connects with the rest of the movie. And it's like the great curse of being an actor, right. Is that you, you know, you, you, give, you, you give what you give on the day, but you have no, I mean, unless you're producing, yeah. unless you're Warren Beatty or something, you know, you have no, you know, <laughs> unless you're Ben Affleck directing a Ben Affleck movie, but that in that case, that's not the case, but like a lot of that doesn't make it right. So it's like your arc often can be your own and yes. not, not anybody else's, which is interesting, you know, but. So oh, and really quick shark charcoal Joe is one of the last Walter Mosley, Easy Rollins book. Okay. And it looks very makeable for a 65-year-old. Let's do it. Let's fucking get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. So if you're listening, Carl Franklin. And Denzel. Or Denzel. Both patrons of both podcasts. Really happy. Oh, well, that's good to know. Thanks for your patronage. Uh, Huge huge patrons of B-Side and One Heat Minute. Um, Just want to say thank you, (laughs) Carl Franklin and Denzel, for your patronage. Yeah, Denzel's just, we we don't even have a big, Denzel just Venmos us. (laughs) Yeah, I get a a Venmo. It just says Denzel. Five dollars. Yeah, yeah. Good That's episode. It. I really hope that someone listening. I, I, gif in there. I really oh. hope that someone finds your Venmo and sends you five bucks. <laughs> it's a Venmo that says, from says you know, it's a, a Venmo that says, "I also liked making Ricochet five dollars." <laughs> Blake, if we ever hang out again in the future, that's what I'm going to do. If I owe you money for drinks or something, it's just oh, that's a good, that's a great idea. That's really good. It's all going to be it's, it's all ten- going to be from Denzel Washington, <laughs> and it's just you talking about your previous projects. Really, yeah, yeah. Love, really right. loved making. I wish more people had seen Anton Fisher, six dollars. <laughs> uh, hey Blake, thanks for seeing Journal for Jordan. <laughs> oh, five dollars, right? Like whatever. Um, oh God. Well, look, we can't go longer than this movie. This podcast no, cannot no, be longer we can't. than we this gotta, movie. We gotta... We're gonna wrap it up. Uh, Connor O'Donnell, Dan Mega, always so much fun talking to you. And if there's anything that I hope out of any of these decade projects, is that people go back and check out these films because I've been kind of using the people that I'm talking to, sometimes I suggest the movie. Sometimes I'm like, what's your favorite movie of 2013? And honestly, I would say that at the time, this absolutely was right up there as my favorite movie of 2013. I, I adored sure. it. I, I think yeah, I would I, agree. Yeah. I think I saw her in January of 14, which actually is a 2013 movie, um, which I believe would be like, if I reflected back on those years, you know, that, that, you know, I, I adore, adore, adore that movie. Um, but I would say that this, if it wasn't my number one, it was very, very close. And I, I just think it's a special movie and Quaran's a special filmmaker. And um, with such a short resume, he has such an incredible, incredible filmmaking acumen and storytelling acumen. And, and this movie just rules top to bottom. And I don't know if Clooney's been better in many He's years great, in a yeah. supporting role. I don't know if Bullock has been better since this um i would just ever i don't think she's ever been this is probably her uh, my favorite performance of hers and then she you know and then the blind side wins the oscar and you're like what well we're gonna gonna memory hold that though and we're all gonna remember that it was for this it's 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 jodie foster winning for the accused and then making sansa lambs you know it's like you don't know she's gonna make gravity right it's like right right you know it's like if you knew that she was gonna make silence you wouldn't have given her the oscar for the accused right you know and 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 sigourney weaver would have a fucking oscar you know it's like yeah you know but you don't know that you don't know that you know it's like so it's it's hard um 
Yeah, but they uh, still look and go, Jamie Lee Curtis hasn't got an Oscar and Angela and uh, you know, Angela Bassett doesn't have an Oscar. Let's just uh, we've just got a toss. Don't toss talk to on. me about Angela. I'm still still even though she's getting an honorary one, which is nice, but but um Yeah. I mean look. Uh her, you know, it's funny, all right. Her, are you gonna do her because it doesn't apply at all anymore at all? It's totally doesn't apply at all to our world now. Her. No, it de- definitely has no relevance. I absolutely am doing her. I don't know when it I'm hasn't do aged. It. it hasn't. It hasn't aged well at all. No, oh, wait, no. Yeah, yeah. The perfect movie. It's actually again. the perfect movie. Um, um, and maybe I gotta rewatch that movie. I like think about that because I didn't. Lo- I really didn't love that movie when it came out. And I'm. I think about it. I'm like, I man, think I about bet that would one, hit me like a ton of bricks. If I, I think about one, yeah. one line from that movie. I bet I know what it is. Several times but, a day. But go ahead, you say it. And it's the Amy Adams line where she's just like, I've decided I have to just allow myself joy. Mm. And it's like, I think about that all the time. There you go. Well, thank you for allowing me the joy of talking to you <laughs> lads about gravity. Really special one. You guys what are the problem. best. Um, can you can you plug the shit out of everything that you guys are doing? I don't know if you can <laughs> announce our other little cheeky, beautiful summer project that you guys. I think are, no, you can actually. As of yeah, yesterday, yeah, let's, you, let's, you can. Let's, so, let's oh, ahead. sure, yes. Yeah, so announce what you guys are doing, and then you can shout out. Cinephile summer, baby. Yeah. So first up, obviously, Dan and I have a podcast called The B Side. You can check us out uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Is Facebook, that Letterbox. your little car? Is that your, <laughs> Is that your little, little car? car? Blake has been honestly one of my, one of our favorite recurring guests. Uh, most recently, Blake was on a Russell Crowe episode that we mentioned. We also did a uh, Alan J. Pakula episode oh, with Blake. So if you want, if you're a listener of this Consenting podcast, adults got wild. Oh God, I forgot. <laughs> oh. So you can use Blake adults. as you can use Blake as an entry point. But we basically talk about movie stars and directors and not the movies that made them famous but like other in-between ones oh and an absolute wild chat with richard dreyfus a wild yes. chat yeah it has to be after, listened to to be uh, to i be listened believe. to after we recorded our russell crowe one and i was like which like which what i love can i tell you what i love about the richard dreyfus thing is that he 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 proceeded to go on one of the most chaotic press tours you could ever go on. Where it was the best. We, we, really like, snuck, we really snuck right he, in there. He then proceeded to go on like Bill Maher's podcast and say some crazy shit, like four news shows and say crazier shit. And like the fact that he came on our little show like a week before all that, I like laugh every time yeah. I'm like, Rich just wow. went out there and was like, "Let me just get a little look in a in a wild. vacuum in a vacuum." His appearance on our show was really nice. Very tame. It was Very it was nice. it, it was ta- it was a wild combo for for cinephiles, and it was like great. And then you see his other stuff, you're like, actually super tame. It was fine. <laughs> Yo, it was super, totally super super tame, tame. super normal. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and then other than that, uh, Dan has a wonderful short story podcast called yes. Fathom Fathom yes, Stories. Right, you should right. check that out. And then uh, what Blake just alluded to, uh, we are bringing back Cinephile Game Night in the form of now an audio video podcast over the course of the summer. Uh, as of this recording, the first episode just dropped. We uh, we are joined by our friends at uh, the Letterbox Show, so you can check that out uh, either on Spotify or YouTube if you want to check out the video version or uh, on the film stage show feed uh, wherever you get your and the one the one heat minute gangs coming up soon yes yeah, so that'll one... be our next episode will be a wonderful uh, a wonderful experience with one heat minute that I was sadly not there for but I'm it was, sure it, it, it was, was a, great. it was a lot of fun we missed you terribly and uh and Dan 
absolutely big, smashed big, me. I was gonna he say big, big shoes to fill. He, yeah, Dan, Dan smashed me in that show, guys. You'll see it. He he threw me under the bus so hard on filmography. Oh no, no, on uh, um on movie actor, he absolutely killed me with uh, John Leguizamo as the pest. Um, oh my so, god, uh, the which pest. is funny because that it keeps also going up on that all also films. happens on the first episode. <laughs> so it, it really keeps coming up. I no no no. You know what's funny? And Connor, correct me because you you edited it. No, don't didn't I get out on the pest in the first episode? No, I got our guest Chandler. Oh, okay, Chandler yeah. back. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Spoilers, I guess, if you haven't listened to it. Really, it's really, so really fun episode. Fun. The, the one heat minute gang was it was so great because I love you guys so much and the whole team of cinephile and film stage. And so, uh, but the one heat minute gang was all there. Maria Lewis. Alexi Toliopoulos and Katie Walsh. Oh it was like my dream lineup of friends to be there. I was, if you watch the video, I'm fucking smiling like an idiot because I'm so happy. I'm just like all of my It's like a team. birthday party where you invite oh, two different groups of friends. It's the and, best. And, and, they get and, they're, and they're all like talking shit and having the best time. I was like, yeah. this is fucking great. So yeah, <laughs> yeah it was an excellent. It, really was, a great it, it was such a fun time. I walked out of there like beaming. And my, you know, my wife does thing, you know, great partners do always like, oh, how was that? Or, you know, whatever. And I was like that. Yeah, I, and I just like named the lineup. I was like the film stage guys, who you know, I love. And I was like, and Lex and Maz and Katie. And especially all of us Australians, it's like early in the morning. So Maz and Lexi are barely awake and it's just the best. <laughs> and I had the best time. So thank you guys. Um, you guys rule. This has been the decade project. And, I'm, you know, we might find another movie to talk about another 2013 movie to talk about because i love talking to you guys about anything um Absolutely. but we but also i will tease we're finally locked in the first scheduled uh recordings um if, if, for the folks who are listening on patreon know a little bit more about it than others but um when this eventually drops into the main feed check out midnight run through um it probably will be available by the time this is in the main feed of the show um midnight run through is jen johans and i collaborating on a deep dive into midnight run we're doing it with our own dynamic duos as groden and de niro are so we have connor and dan as one of our duos which is super exciting um we've got a bunch of others that are coming up and uh, that's going to be a fun one and then and then I got to decide what the hell else I'm going to do. What am I going to do after I finish that, guys? What am I going to do after I finish <laughs> Podcaster and Commander? Who knows? I think I'll find something else to talk about. Ferrari, baby, Ferrari. Oh, oh, Ferrari. oh God, well, Ferrari. Yeah, I'm. I'm still pushing for Catrari, which is me getting Katie Walsh to the Venice Film Festival to watch Ferrari, the premiere. I really and want to see Katie Walsh get. When there. it comes out, you got to call it. It's going to be the. It's going to be something colon Ferrari, but just <laughs> to keep it in the naming convention, you got to call it Revs per minute. Revs and per then minute. Colin Ferrari. Ferrari. And yeah, then look, look, look see, go. this is why you are friends with other podcasters and producers because they just like they just they're just dropping fire all the time, dropping <laughs> fire. All right, lads, it's been great. You're the best. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Thank you. feels like such a 20th century movie it feels like something david lean would have done or tried to do uh, when he still had that kind of currency and even then he might not have succeeded it's incredible because like if you if you don't have time to watch all five seasons of lost you can just watch fearless <laughs> not a week goes by that i don't think of the ending of gallipoli it's left a mark a uh, year of living dangerously 
you know, and then something like Last Wave, even that's so uh, deeply embedded with the land and the story of the land, the story of the place. You know, I don't know that I'd seen very many movies at that point in my life that had such a down ending and they had such a you know sort of strong sense of folklore uh, 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 attached to it as that. And something always so poetic and lyrical about Peter Weir's work. Gallipoli was the first movie that ever traumatized me, and I don't think I ever really recovered from it. <laughs> and I'm still upset that they played it in school. Like, I don't think it's actually possible to make an, they say it's not possible to make an anti-war movie, but I think Peter Weir pulled it off. Because yes. no one watches that movie then thinks, I want to go to war. Uh, Peter Weir is the greatest director that Australia has ever produced. Like, bar none, hands down. Like, no yeah. one else has even in the room. I think you have covered some really titanic filmmakers and some really titanic films so far, but I, I truly think what makes Peter Weir special and what makes you doing this one special is we don't talk about Peter Weir that way, and we should. Peter Weir is one of those guys who I don't get why he isn't a bigger name, why he isn't more in that rarefied air, yes. because I think film for film, he's one of our very best filmmakers. He has brought his A-game repeatedly to many <laughs> properties. There are films of his that I hold very dear. Fearless, uh, you know, uh, The Mosquito Coast. I will fight somebody if they talk bad about The Mosquito Coast. It's, man, I love that movie. But in general, I just think he is a special filmmaker, a smart, lyrical, um, hallucinatory filmmaker. He's a very dreamy filmmaker, and I don't think he gets his due. You know, Master and Commander is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, it's, it's easily one of the best movies of the last 20 years. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's a grand scale. There's a historical backdrop to it, but at the same time, there's a, such an intimacy in the relationships. Uh, which I think is not just a great film and one of the last great epics in the truest sense. Um, I, I think is actually kind of a sliding doors change point moment in, in cinema history. I think 2003, when that comes along, and it is a, an old fashioned, you know, we don't make them like that anymore type film. I think if Master and Commander spawns a franchise at that point, the entire cinema landscape globally is completely different. That, that's the movie that I wanted to see, 10 of those, you know? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I know they're big fans of Fast and Furious and everything, God bless you, but Master and Commander <laughs> should have been. It's one of those things, again, I. I am not uh, I'm not a seafaring man, sir. <laughs> but there is a sense of authenticity. There's a sense of really watching a, a genuine dedication to recreating history unfold on a big screen in front of you that can't help but inspire just genuine admiration and awe. If you're going to pick a film where he really brings every one of his skills to the table, it's Master and Commander. I think you picked the right one, man. Yeah, very excited to see what you you pull, you pull out of this, Blake. That's right. Our next series is Peter Weir and Russell Crowe's Master and Commander. The series is called Podcaster and Commander.